Welcome to Eerie Essex. I'm Bethan Briggs-Miller. And I'm Ailsa Clark. Thank you for joining us on our journey into the strange side of the county. We will be exploring the folklore, urban legends and supernatural encounters that form part of its rich history. special episode of Eerie Essex. This county has a strong name with spiritualism. The Arthur Findlay College for Advancement of Spiritualism and Psychic Sciences, which opened in 1964. A long list of grand seances uh, in the newspapers over the years and the vast amount of ghostly tales that we enjoy delving into each episode makes this a perfect place to discuss the story. The Other Side of Mrs Wood is a tale set in a world of illusion and rivalry where the reader is deeply immersed in the high society of Victorian London. With each seance, another layer of the rich tapestry of the intricate lives is revealed and how closely their fates are interweaved. The story follows Mrs Wood as a celebrated medium in a world where other mediums are either being revealed as frauds or seemingly outshining her with more elaborate displays. After hearing a yawn at one particular gathering, Mrs Wood decides something needs to be done. Enter. Miss Finch, a young girl who desperately wants to become a medium, and after haunting Mrs. Wood's house, is taken under her wing as a pupil. But she is not so innocent as she first seems. <laughs> we are really excited to be joined by the author Lucy Barker to discuss her wonderful new book. Lucy, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, so, are you happy for us to delve right in with some questions about yeah, the book? Yeah, go straight in. Yep. I'll just say first that I really, really enjoyed it. Yes. I, honestly, <laughs> I've listened to it non-stop for like the past three days. Um, but one of the things we were wondering is the world you built around Mrs. Wood is so detailed and intricate. What research did you do in order to bring that world to life? So, so I've got um, I have an MA in um, Victorian studies. So um, I've and I got I was studying for that about 12 13 years ago so I've been steeped in the Victoriana um world um since then and I have a real passion for for that period I think it's such a fascinating period because the the 18th century we were starting to get a lot of first person experiences and lots of primary resources but the 19th century is where it really really kicked in and there's so much to to get your teeth into so um so I'd already kind of got my foundation my the the basis and and ever since doing my MA I still devour anything to do with the 19th century um but the um in terms of the seances in terms of the actual mediumship but the spiritualism um I relied on um diaries that were written at the time by um spiritualists such as Georgiana Horton um who absolutely 
believed wholeheartedly that it was real and had these incredible experiences and Georgiana Horton for example wrote so beautifully and in such incredible detail about her seances that they're a joy to read but also incredibly well informed forming Mm -hmm. rather um so yeah there is a lot of research there. <laughs> you can tell, yes. <laughs> uh, did you base Mrs Wood on a particular medium from history? Yes, I did, and she's great. <laughs> <laughs> tell us more. Um, so she's based on a medium called Agnes Guppy, which is the best name in the world if you're going to work in spiritualism. Um, and Agnes was born in Hull in, um, I guess, she was about 20 when she came to London in the 1850s. And she was an incredibly successful medium Um, And she became really successful because she became very popular with um, Alfred Russell Wallace, who was Darwin's research partner. Well, they they researched the theory of... Sorry, I've got a cold. (laughs) Evolution together. And... um, and he kind of depart- parted ways with Darwin because he got very into spiritualism. Um, and he spotted Mrs. Guppy at a table and was absolutely enthralled by her. And she wasn't Mrs. Guppy then, she was Miss Nickel. And then, but she married Mr. Guppy, became the wonderful Agnes Guppy, um, and became <coughs> one of the biggest mediums of her time. She was kind of like the absolute superstar of the scene. Um, and she became known as the Flying Enchantress because in the... Um, the late 1860s, early 1870s, she did this amazing feat where the spirit supported her from her back parlour where she was doing her accounts all the way across London to um, Lamb's Conduit Street in central London where she appeared in the middle of a seance table. It's very Uri Geller. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> where she, where, um, which, and it was a dark seance, there was a kerfuffle on the table and they lit the candles and were like, oh, Mrs Guppy. there she was revealed Um, so she was known as a flying enchantress but one of the wonderful things about Mrs Guppy was that she she was very powerful she was very successful but she was never exposed and she was never she may have had a few scandals and she may have been challenged but she she her entire life was lived in uh unimpeached which is really rare for a medium during that period so that's why she's brilliant the term dark seance a lot when I was doing some research ahead of this yes does that mean it literally took place in the dark or was there more to it no (laughs) (laughs) so lots of senses would have to have a candle lit because there would be stuff happening that you would want people to see um but then you would have your dark seances where it would so that the light was said to um, weaken a medium spirit, uh, uh, not spirit, sorry, her, her, her ability to talk to the spirits, um, it would weaken her energy. So that's why they would say, I'll oh, turn out all the lights. And then removing the sense of sight leaves you much more vulnerable to kind of, to, to, not exploitation, but to suggestion. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what dark seance is. <laughs> was there a particular reason you were drawn towards uh, the subject of seances? Or is it just because it's so entrenched in the Victoriana, as you were saying earlier, that it kind of came about naturally? It, it's, sort of, it's twofold, really. So I've always... Well, since uh, over the past 10 years or so, I've written in the 19th century. Um, and I was, I'd was i been noodling around this idea for ages. It just wasn't working. And so my writer friend and I were sitting down and thinking, about, what is it that I love about the 19th century? And one is I love 
the bringing to life these really ordinary women who were doing extraordinary things, admittedly, with, with Mrs. Wood. Um, but but normally, it, just like a whole... I love bringing personality and individuals to, to life because we do tend to see Victorian women as these big lump of of repressed and oppressed, whereas, you know, they're all individuals like us. They all had relationships like we do and they were all trying to make their way in a world that didn't really want to help them. So I was always really fascinated with that. And and I, so when I was reading around, it's like I'd always been obsessed with ghosts and the thought of the other side. And it's like, well, that's a perfect marriage, like mm-hmm. you know, because women were thought to be more spiritual. Therefore, they were better than men at doing um, um, seances and, and convening with the spirits. They were more able to do it. So, yeah, it was... Um, could not do it really <laughs> and then I found the story of Agnes Guppy falling out with Florence Cook sorry I was slightly rambling but this is my thing <laughs> um and um Miss Finch is based on Florence Cook who was who is known as the first um medium in Britain to materialize a full spirit um and there was a bit of argy-bargy which was suggested by some male um mediums and that argy-bargy um was the inspiration really for for the book um yeah (laughs) that's actually one of the things we wanted to ask you about the relationships between these women seem so modern yeah um it's it's not how we would normally picture like a victor how the victorians related to one another um did you like did you draw on any experiences of your own for that or were there sort of historical equivalents i mean i know you mentioned the, the falling out that she had with another uh your um with Florence Kirk. Yeah, with yeah. Florence Kirk. Um, but were there like any instances that you saw between the two that you thought, I know exactly what's going on there? Well, I think I think I think one of the one of the reasons why I'm so interested in writing about this period in the way that I did the way that, you know, in this kind of theme is because these were women, as I've just said, and they were men and women who were just like we are now. And I think um, it's really easy to see them as just like these cardboard cutouts. But I really wanted to show like a really kind of domestic world where people just, they have bickers, they have arguments, they have insecurities, where they have their anxieties. Um, and, you know, so Victorian society as a whole isn't hugely different from the society that we have now. You know, the anxieties that they had, the social anxieties that they had mirror ours. Mm. Um, we're no different. It's just they, we don't have colour photos of them. We don't mm. have videos of them. But they would have sat at home and bitched about their mates. <laughs> 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 you know, and, um, and reading the letters and diaries, you can, you know. Yeah. There's like, they're, they're just, they were humans, I think so, I like that bit. That really got to be that bit of the book where they just <coughs> gossip like we would, like over a, like, you know, just have you heard about? Yeah, they do. <laughs> but, and I think when I read Cranford by Elizabeth Gaskell, it was when I was like in my late teens, it was the first time that I read a book set in the 19th, well, from the 19th century that actually had a human conversation. Mm-hmm. And those characters, those women are so real and so vibrant. In fact, my daughter, I named my daughter after um, Matilda or Matty. And, um, and, I think that's what I've always wanted to celebrate, you know, because they were 
those women deserve to be remembered (coughs) as women and men and individuals and people who just wanted to live their own women were formidable yeah (laughs) well also you know like it was such an oppressive uh, society of course it was and these women particularly within spiritualism these are women who are being financially independent in a world where that was virtually impossible to Mm. do in a respectable way and that's really important Mm -hmm. and um, it's really easy to dismiss spiritualism and mediums as a trifle or just you know something that isn't important but actually financially that's massive and socially that's huge Um, and again you know these are just and also it allowed them to get out and about they could socialize respectively they could hang out each other's houses they had a reason to to move around and they could feel empowered and powerful because they were able to connect to something that other people couldn't so um these were these women are worth talking about definitely yeah Thinking about relationships again, like between the different classes of women and men, but mainly women, and the involvement of like Miss Newman with the suffragette movement, which is an important part of the story, as much as the rivalry of the two mediums. Did you set out intending the book to explore those themes or did that sort of come about as you researched and started writing? Did you want to... Which themes do you mean? Sort of like the uh, feminism and... um, De- I think I think I'm just I am a feminist, so it just kind of it oozes out of me. I just find it really <laughs> difficult to not write like that. Um, but equally, I think what I did want to do was I did want Mrs. Wood to not be fussed about suffrage. Suffrage. Yeah. I mean, it's to be clear, you know, this is the very start of the suffrage movement, and it wouldn't necessarily even be referred to as suffragettism. Well, suffragettes is a early 1900s term, but. Yeah. Anyway, um, but so it's more about like women's rights, and um, and I've had a few questions actually where it's been like, you know, why isn't she? Why, do, you know, I'm I was con- I was worried that, or I was concerned that she didn't want that, or she didn't support that that movement. It's like, well, lots of women didn't. They just didn't, you know, because it was a radical thing to do to be really um, to to promote something such as women's equality or you know to for a woman to raise her head against a parapet for ordinary women you know that was really mm. you know and mrs wood is just working away and getting doing her job and getting on with things that's just a, you know she can't be associated with so too much under the spotlight could have caused more problems mm. than yes and 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 i think you know she was all right and i think you know we all think and I'm pretty sure, actually, we probably all would have been involved in like, the suffrage movement in some capacity. But, you know, there are other things that, you know, when, when you've got your day-to-day life going on, maybe you wouldn't have been as involved in it as you thought you would. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. you know... I mean, she was being a feminist in a way because of the way she was working and bringing women into the circle and... Yeah, and I think she, I think she was how we would, you know... I. I meet people who say that they're not feminist mm. now. Um, and I'm like, I think you are, but you just don't like that term. Yeah. Mm. And I think that, that, so I think that that's what she is. She's mm. someone, she, yeah, she's all, she's all about advancing women. She just doesn't really know that that's what she's doing. Yeah. Mm. I told you I'd go off, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's <laughs> great, yeah. Um, so some of the... Uh, the terms and the things that happen within the seances, like the etiquette Mrs. Wood follows uh, when she admonishes Emmy, 
Um, was that something that you found uh, in your research or was that sort of uh, concocted for the the book? And was there any particular trick that they used in the, in seances that you found and you thought, I'd love to see this done in real life? <laughs> I think so. All of the seances, all of the big piece, set pieces are taken from real seances that happened at the time. So I would love to see all of them mm. done because in some ways I've had to guess a lot at how yeah. things work because it won't surprise you, but they didn't really talk about it. That much. <laughs> they certainly didn't write it down. I mean, there was a little bit, but not those. So, yeah, so I think there are quite a few in the book that I would love to see done. But things like the etiquette, um, no, that's all from just how I think it would have happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really good at... Um, at buying loads of reference books but I'm not very good at reading them from cover to cover <laughs> so, so I tend to dip in and out and then um and then yeah just I mean I'm a writer I'm not a historian so. sorry <laughs> I was like how strong she was she had a very firm concept of what should be done and what shouldn't be done. oh yeah no 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 yeah 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 when I used to write her I'd just be very stern mm-hmm. If I still feel very stern when I think about her. Is that something you were doing last right kind of when you switched from writing for one person, yeah. you kind of switched sort of like You persona. find yourself doing that. Yeah, I was talking about this the other day. It's like when I used to write Miss Finch, I'd be like... It's <laughs> kind of like... Because she, she has this impish kind of like quality and, and Mr. Claw. And, you know, <laughs> just kind of get into these... Because you have to assume, I don't know, I just, you just, it happens because you've immersed yourself mm. in that character to make that voice real. I'm thinking about Mrs. Wood and how she describes her work as a way to bring comfort to the yeah. grieving. But we also know that it's staged. Yeah. Does she use, does she genuinely believe and is that, does that drive her that she comforts people or is it a way to ease her conscience, do you reckon? It's interesting. It's interesting. Um, because that was a uh, that was a big part of the plot development for me when i was working on it was when i was trying to get inside her skin why would she do this and i genuinely think that um i i think that lots of mediums operate in the 19th century and now actually as grief counselors mm. i think that they were there um and they and they provided and provide a really valuable service so i think no matter what her original intentions, I think that that has become something that she genuinely believes, that that's why, that's how she she bridges that moral... Yeah. Yeah. No man's land or the grey area. She um, has a line not to cross. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. And I think, you know, and also her background, you know, it, it, she's come from a world that's a little bit free and easy with boundaries and so I think she needs she wants to be really clear and yeah so so that she has these big elaborate seances because those are evidence those prove that she is able to communicate with the other side so that when she has those more quiet intimate moments with her patrons Mm -hmm. they believe what she's doing so without one she doesn't have the other and she needs those private consultations for the money Mm -hmm. to put it (laughs) Absolutely. So um, we both listened to the audiobook, which was yeah. read fantastically by, is it Tracy? Tracy Ann Oberlin. Tracy Ann Oberlin. Yeah. So brilliant. Yes. Um, were the voices how you imagined them when you were writing them, or were they? did Tracy come up with some of those? those? 
The only direction, direction, I'm only good at that. But the only thing, the only note that I passed was, can we just make sure that Miss Finch isn't too sacker in the suite? Mm. That was the only thing I wanted her to be quite, I wanted her to be real. Um, and then when I listened to it, I was saying to you earlier, it's like, it's a whole new world. It's like, I don't even know. I mean, some of the stuff I haven't read for a while anyway. Um, but yeah, it's like listening to a whole different book. Um, yeah, Mr. Larson's a lot older than I heard him in my head and he's a lot more bumbly, but of course he would. She nailed it. And one of the characters is Scottish. I didn't know that she was really <laughs> Scottish, but of course she is. But I think also the challenge is there's lots, it is, uh, there are two male characters and everybody else is a woman. And so how do you differentiate between mm. that? Particularly when you've got a woman who's reading, how do you differentiate between your different characters? And she's nailed it. I loved it. Mm. I couldn't believe her range. It was her amazing. I mean, really when good. she goes into the male characters, and there's it, no like sort of uh, suspended belief. It is, you just hear it. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought you had a different actress for the Dowager. No, no, no. It's all Tracy, I know. Yeah, Yeah, she nailed the Dowager. The Dowager is one of these kind of, she's a really important character, but she's only in a little bit. Like, she comes in and out. But yeah, she's, um, yeah. Yeah, I loved it. Loved it. I have to say, out of all of the publishing stuff, which has been bonkers anyway, that the moment I've heard first heard it read, it's a very special moment. I can imagine. Can we be cheeky now and ask you some personal questions? (laughs) have you yourself ever been to see a medium yes i have um so um i used to i don't used to but like where i used to live they used to have this guy who used to come around um and and do like on stage stuff which i used to go and see because it used to make me laugh but also because i'm sitting there going oh please someone come through for me <laughs> <laughs> um but then <clears throat> Well, I think I was on like the third draft. I think we're on like the final kind of mopping up draft before it went out on submission to publishers. I thought I probably should have a reading. <laughs> and I went in completely cynical and um, thinking, oh, just, just, just getting out of it, wanted to get home, done with, I suppose, curious, but not fussed. And I came out feeling really comforted and mm. really still not sure if I believed or not but that wasn't what mattered what mattered was how I felt and I Mm. felt so um there I (laughs) during the reading I felt like she was connected to my dad who who died 10 years ago and um and then talking about him was so lovely Mm. talking about him with someone who and remembering him and, and not having to worry about I don't know, it was just, it was a really lovely experience. But I was so relieved that I felt comforted when I came out because I was like, that's good. That's exactly, that is exactly what I thought it would be like. Um, and I hadn't engineered it that way. It was just genuinely how I felt. I like so. how you described how it's like grief counsellors yeah. because yeah. what someone calls cold reading is active listening. Yes, mm. yes, it so is. And I think, you know, sometimes for me, you know, I, I talk about my dad quite a bit, Um but I don't talk about, I don't, I don't talk about him with all my head. Do you know, like, you know, this was a bad, this was me almost reconnecting with my dad and not having to be ashamed or not even ashamed, but it was really pure and clean. And that's what it feels like. That's why I think that if you can offer someone who is grieving and in a particular in the 19th century where, where grief was prescribed, you had to follow the rules of of mourning um you know women were given two years for a spouse men were given six months 
Mm. <laughs> um, but it was very prescribed. And so if you if you're trying to navigate that, mm-hmm. you know, any opportunity for someone to be able to talk to of course there were people who were taking advantage of that. Of course there were, and there still probably are, but those you know, the unscrupulous ones, the ones I don't know, maybe I maybe I'm sticking up for people who were all unscrupulous, I don't know. But I feel like there's a value to that anyway. Um, so obviously you've written the book and the seances are very blatantly sort of staged and acted out but you yourself are you a sort of a believer or a skeptic when it comes to paranormal bethan and i actually sit on two different sides do you bethan's the believer i'm the skeptic and that's how we approach the podcast that's great that's um i'm on the fence i have to say Mm. i think i think i don't i'm not smart enough to be able to say that it definitely doesn't exist yeah um and i really want it to i'd really love it to do you want to believe yeah, that, that's how I feel. I mean, I wouldn't be interested in it if it if I didn't want to believe in it, but I can't bring myself over the line. <laughs> well, we've got closer over the podcast. Oh, yeah. I know. I wanted to believe so much that I want it to be real, so I'm, yeah. I'm scrupulous, whereas you've gone the other way. We've met in the middle somewhere. <laughs> but I think, I think, um, yeah, I think there is that it's a very, um, it's, it's open, isn't it? It's, mm. and I think the reason why it was so big in the 19th century was because that was a period where people were experiencing huge social change and scientific change and, you know, evolution, um, that bacteria caused disease, you know, all these things that were blowing people's minds. Whereas I think perhaps as a society now, although having said that, it is on um, spiritualism, the belief in mediums, use of mediums is on the rise. So... Mm-hmm. I don't know, I think most of us would harbour the dream that there is something other than this. It's terrifying to think it's not that. I know, I know. That's one of those 3am kind of like, <laughs> on the walk back from the toilet thinking, oh God, this is it. <laughs> Have those regularly. <laughs> Glad I'm the only one. Yeah. Are you happy to take questions from the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Does anyone have any questions for Lucy? You might need to speak up slightly because the mic's going to pick you up from here or we can try and maybe move it slightly. Don't worry if you don't. Honestly, it's fine. I don't mind. If you want to have... Oh, sorry. Uh, no, I was actually going to ask a question that's kind of been answered if you'd had a personal paranormal experience with either like a ghost or... Yes. <laughs> um, we should have thought do, you know that. do you know what? I wish that I had. I wish I had, but I'm too scared to, <laughs> to, to have ever kind of embraced it if it has. Um, I used to think when I was little, well... If I think that I'm going to see a ghost, then I definitely won't see a ghost. So I just used to think all the time I was going to see a ghost. And I thought it was the other day, I used to have to sleep with a duvet over my ear because I was obsessed with that ghosts would touch my ear. Um, they never did. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that I have, but I, as I say, I'd just be too... Yeah, I'm, I can't sleep in the dark. I'm a complete worse when it comes to... So yeah. Which hotel are you staying in tonight? Don't even, <laughs> don't even honestly, because the people say that to me and then I have to have all the lights on. I genuinely can't sleep. I, just... I was gonna say because my I just work around the corner. Um oh, it's God. one of the oldest buildings in Colchester and it is haunted. Yeah. So um, is it um, is it <laughs> initials R L? Um what the it's a solicitor. Oh the solicitors, oh. yeah. Oh. Oh, have you had one afterwards? Then? Well, I do think there is a ghost in my office. Really? Yeah. Um, we hear um, basically heels walking <gasps> up and down, and then sometimes my drawers open themselves. 
Oh my god, I love it. Um, <laughs> I love it. And then there's always like a door opening and closing, which when I first started, I thought someone was playing a trick on me. Really? But I would always check, and now it's just, oh, it's just it's the ghost again. <laughs> you hear that a lot along the street, people saying, oh yeah, it's haunted, but we got used to it better. Yeah, yeah. I used to work in um, Holly Trees Museum, which is very famously haunted by the Grey Lady, and that was the common, like, oh, why is there litter all over the kitchen again? Oh, it's the Grey Lady. Someone's been tipping over the, the napkins. It's the great lady. Oh my god! My mum always says that um, it's my dad when things kind of get misplaced. I know, mum. You just not put it. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I just wondered why you based the story in that part of London. I come from there. Do you? Yeah, that did interest me. It caught my eye. So I used to live round. Whereabouts did you live? Westbourne Park Road. Oh, did you? Yes, yes. Which is, I think, Mister Mr. Larson lives on Westbourne Park Road. I yes. think. One of those, yes. Somebody does. Isn't yeah, it? I think it's Mr. Yeah, Larson. Yeah. yeah. Um, I used to live around there as well, and I absolutely love that yeah. area. And it's so um, that juxtaposition as well between these huge grand houses and then the terraces. Yeah. Um, and I really love writing, reading about places that I know, mm. or having place names that I know. So um, that's why I set it there. Um, but actually, the thing that I didn't realise, setting it in 1873 was a bit of a pickle because half of Notting Hill wasn't built then. <laughs> it wasn't built until between 1873 and 1878. So I initially had her on the road that runs behind what's now Labrick Grove Tube Station. Um, yeah, that wasn't there then. So I had to move her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, I could talk about geography and, the, and London that hours, I love the history of them. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, but Westmore Park Road, Westmore Park Road, yeah. Yes, it's such a beautiful road. Yes. Oh, yes. now here you are. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? I have a question. Yeah. Um, I have a theory that the reason we are so into spooky stuff and true crime and stuff in a more modern world is because we're so far removed from death. We don't participate mm. in any longer. We don't look after our dead like we used to. I know culturally that's obviously not the case internationally, but certainly here we you can have non-attended funerals. So it's almost like they just went one day and that was it. And I think that's why there's this resurgence of people trying to find out more around yeah. it. But interestingly, in the period you are talking about, that wasn't necessarily the case. Death was all around them. Yeah. So what do you think this rise in spiritualism then was simply as a coping mechanism or a way to understand because perhaps people were being taken so early? I don't know. I think that's interesting because I think, I think there was a massive rise of secularism in the 19th century. So I think people were looking for reason, and they, but they were also looking for opportunities to experience life or, or get a different answer to the question of what life is about more and there were more opportunities to do that um and it, I, but I think that they came to it because death was around them so much for that reconnection um you know I mean it's it's slightly later but um Conan Doyle is probably one of the most famous spiritualists and he came to it because of he'd lost his son and it it absolutely exploded in America during the Civil War mm. um, and, the, and the antebellum period. So I think, I think it's, it's about that reasoning and trying to figure out why, but I do think it's on that really basic terms of... And I do think it's because if 
if bacteria can cause disease, if we're descended from apes, all these kind of like, if any of that could be true, then perhaps this could be true. And if you've got scientists like Alfred um, Russell Wallace <coughs> and also you know, these famous chemists like Sir William Crookes, these people, these great scientific minds saying, yes, it is true, then I think it was like offering that. And I think in a way, you know, we have kind of, we've, we've, we're not as open-minded as we were. We're not the, you know, my husband, who's an engineer, is very much like, nope, absolutely not, because he has no, he's not seeing the evidence. And I think that's really interesting that we are now, right, we now feel that we can say that. I don't know, rambling now. But yeah, that's a really good question, though, because I think, I think at the heart of it, it's the same, but I think possibly what's motivating it is just different. You said there's a resurgence again. Yeah, but they but so there was an article in the New York Times which was said that they think it's because of the pandemic, mm, which goes hand in hand with what you're saying there about you know mass loss um, and be, people being taken unexpectedly and quickly. Because um, yeah. there was a massive surge in spiritualism in the UK after the First World War yeah. as well. So yeah. it's it's almost like a cycle that we have a a massive event like the pandemic where you're experiencing loss on a great scale comes around and then spiritualism comes yeah. back with it. I think for some people, their faith can be really challenged by things like that. Mm. And then, um, you know, this offers an, an alternative. Mm. Um, but also in the 19th century, spiritualism and, and, and Christianity went hand in hand though as well. You know, they would always open with the Lord's Prayer. It wasn't an alternative. It was almost like an extension. The tenets kind of went in a row. Mm. so it wasn't turning its back entirely um just offered like a little bridge into they called it Summerland. i know it's quite fancy going there sound good yeah um i think we've got time but ahead of this i was just i was just delving into the british newspaper archive oh uh, i know case. <laughs> if ever you've got four days to waste any subject you can think of you will find something on there that you will not believe <laughs> well i put in essex seance ghosts what did you find mediums a million articles <laughs> i did i found one particular one about um a widow who conducted her own spiritual healings and seances, and she had, um, which, this is how it's termed, a dead North American Indian. They always had North yeah. American Indian. It seems very popular, but this one yeah. in particular, she was from Leon C, and uh, Greyfeather, her This was 1939, spirit. by the way, I don't know. If yes, oh, 1939. What was her name? Oh, let's have a look. They waffle on quite a bit before they get to the point. Because 1939 was really interesting that, like, the post-20s-ish was a really interesting period because um, that was when they were, I think that, that that was when they were more, they were getting tighter on the testing. In fact, was it, was it 45 that they had the last Ooh, woman was really? tried for witchcraft and she was someone who, who sold herself as a medium? Well, this was Emmeline Dodd, I've just... That's a great name. It is a good name, isn't it? And there's a lot of backwards and forwards. I mean, she made some money out of it, but she also did healings. But a lot of people came to her defence saying, no, no, I have had very specific messages. I have gone to her healings and I've come away and felt better. But um, out of all the thousands of pounds she made from it, she only had to give back 400 because apparently that was the one they couldn't quite substantiate. But there was this... Very yeah. strong female figure who um, a lot of people yeah. came to the rescue from different classes. Well, exactly, and, and I did transcend classes as well. Um, 
very much so you'd quite even you lots of these um lower class women would like rent out back rooms and they would see any old person that sounds really wrong <laughs> <laughs> we'll be there. Uh, um, you know they would um they would do a reading for a shilling or whatever you know so um and they weren't they were seen that was a respectable thing to do well i think at one point her um her her lawyer said that she was actually under control and um possessed by a gray feather and she's like no <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah, that's a really strange legal argument. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? My client is I wonder if she was the one who was tried for witchcraft then. I don't know. Does anyone know that one? I think it was Helen Duncan, wasn't it? Was it Helen Duncan? I think she gave a, a demonstration of clairvoyance and she, she mentioned a sh- uh, it was during the war. That's right, she mentioned the ship. The ship yes. And nobody knew anything about that. The Admiralty had kept it. I did come quiet. across that, but because it was in Essex, I didn't look. But yeah. <laughs> was that Helen Duncan, yeah. though? And she was the char- last person in England to be charged under the Witchcraft yeah. Act. Yeah. And yes. I think she's put in prison. She was massive, oh, though, Helen Duncan. Yeah, yeah she was. Oh, is it her? Mm. She was an ectoplasm woman as well at first. Oh, was she? Yeah. Oh, I she wish was. we still saw that. Ectoplasm. The, I don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> the photos, the photos. It, I think also another reason why spiritualism was massive in the 19th century is because ph- photography wasn't very advanced. Mm-hmm. So they had the spirit ph- photographs, but they, as soon as they started taking quality photos of ectoplasm, <laughs> <laughs> cheese cloth, yeah, or like someone's spirit guide. What's one of my favourite photos? It's like it's basically just like a head on a stick with like a bit of cloth like wobbling around, like, you know, in the half light. That's wonderful, but you know, with like a camera flash, it's never going to work. But yeah. Well, I've, we've thoroughly enjoyed talking oh, to you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. I'm sorry, I've got a cold, so I'm a little bit. I mean, we could ask you more and more questions, but we also don't want to give away the end in case anybody hasn't read it yet. So, oh yeah, sometimes I forget as well and start blathering on about that. So that's a very good thing. Ask you afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining thank us. You. Oh, thank, thank you so you. much for having me. I've absolutely loved it. Thank you. And we can heartily recommend the book and yes. go out and buy it now. Yes. <laughs> it's available at Redline Books. <laughs> <laughs> If you'd like to get in contact with us with a story of your own or any more information about what we've discussed in this episode, you can reach us at eerieessexpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to contact us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram under the handle eerieessex. On Twitter, we are under eerie underscore essex. You can also find us on Patreon and Coffee if you'd like to support the podcast. <laughs>